Remain standing, please, while I introduce our guests. Um, the wearers are exemplary, uh, would be the word that I would use. I don't use that word for too many things. It's a powerful word, the word exemplary. They're above reproach. They're people of integrity that have been going after God and, and, and doing it the kingdom way for decades and decades. I was going to say and decades again, but all their lives just serve the Lord. And they, I love this story and probably won't have time to tell it. Got a powerful word to preach to you. I love that they, they, they packed up their car, their station wagon, and they had a trailer and they drove into Denver with $400 to start a church. And God breathed on them and their family and, and caused that work to expand with steps of faith, not unlike the ones we're taking now. Very similar. And may God, may God do here what he's done in Denver. They caused that church to be a, a, a church that's impacted the state and, and even impacted our nation. His son's 37 years old now, and he's just taken over the church, which, which means that the wearers are now unemployed. No, I'm <laughs> they turned the work over to their son and have really an apostolic anointing on their life. And they have oversight over numerous churches across America. And I don't know how, it's the Lord that, that made us friends. He brought us together at a conference and it was supernatural. They've sowed into us over this past week wisdom, pearls of wisdom that are just, I, which I'm just so thankful. Really, one of God's generals, one of God's finest. Please put your hands together for Mike and, Pastor Mike and Janie Ware. You may be seated. So good to see all of you. Welcome to King's Chapel. Amen. Glad to be home. This is our second home, we've decided. We're good. We're going to move here for three months of the year. <laughs> I tell you, this is unbelievable. It was so hot yesterday. I said, Jeannie, we've got to go someplace cool. This is too hot. But uh, this is my beautiful wife, Jeannie, and I know she wants to share some things, so go ahead. Well, I'm so happy that you're here this morning. I'm happy we're here this morning. And we love this pastor and his wife, and you are in a good, good place. Amen. Amen. Uh, Psalm 55 verse 16 says, but I will call on God and the Lord will rescue me morning, noon, and night. I will cry out in my distress and the Lord hears my voice. He ransoms me and keeps me safe from the battle. I just want to talk to you. You know, when we call upon somebody, we have to call upon them by name. You know, I mean, it's, it's one thing, you know, to say Mike, but it's another thing because he has many different names. You know, his mother called him Michael. You know, I can call him husband. My children call him dad. You know, we've called him pastor. When I talk to him and I say, pastor, I need some help. He, he answers me differently than when I say husband. I need help. And God is the same. God has many different names. We can call upon him as God and Lord and Jesus and those things. But when we get very specific with who we call upon him as. Your pastor got up here this morning and was calling upon him as Jehovah Rapha, the healer, 
the doctor, the healer. And I just believe that there's somebody in this service that needs to know he is Jehovah Shama. He is Jehovah Shalom, the peace. Somebody here needs peace. He will give you peace in your mind, in your emotions, in those things that torment you in the night seasons where you can't sleep at night because you are so tormented. Call upon Jehovah Shalom, God your peace. He will bring that peace that passes all understanding, ruling your heart and your mind. He will rule over those things that torment you in your mind. Know him, but also know that he has many names. And today, his name is Jehovah Shalom, your peace. Amen? Amen. She woke up this morning, I saw her, I said, that's the beauty of Alaska. I said, today, Jeannie, you are the queen of Wasilla. I meant that too. Amen. All right, everybody ready for something? Yes. Open up your Bible apps, your Bibles. Anybody bring a Bible to church anymore? Yeah. Look, at, look at this. How many of you use Bible apps, electronic devices, and so forth? About half of you. That's where it's going now. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to begin there. Again, what a great honor and a blessing it is to be here. You know, your pastor and his wife, they're some of the finest people that we know. And like your pastor said, we got to know them a number of years ago. I think this is our fourth time here. That's why I said it feels like home now. And, um, and I don't know. They're, they're just, the only way I know how to put they're just classy people. And uh, they, they host us so well, and we just feel like kings, and we don't know why. But they bless us, and we're just so overjoyed to be here. And uh, God's really using him. Do you really love your pastor and his wife? Do you really do? You should. The real deal, I'm telling you. I wouldn't be here if I didn't think he was the real deal. And uh, he deserves honor. He and his wife deserves your love and uh, your care. Because they work really hard. They make lots of sacrifices. You don't really know what a pastor does. They deal and carry the weight of the ministry and the burden of the vision. And seeing that come to pass, you go home after this. And he goes home, but he still thinks about everything and deals with everything. And it's a real, it's a joy. There's a grace that goes with it. But the Lord is expanding, uh, I think, what God's doing. Not just the building and the vision that you have here, but God's using him in a greater way, really, not just in the community, but outside the community, as you well know, Dr. Morocco and the whole network and the team of pastors there. But uh, as I was praying this morning, I just kind of had this little vision about your pastor, that like Peter, who stepped out of the boat to walk on water, required one thing. That was for people to not hold him back. You know, the disciples could have held Peter back and said, don't get, don't get out there, you're going to drown. But no, Peter had enough faith to step onto that water while the other 11 hairy-legged men stayed in that boat. But there was one who took a chance, and that's your pastor. I believe he's the kind of man who's willing to take a risk and a chance. And I believe God's expanding his territory, if, you, if I can use that term. I believe expanding his anointing and calling, you know, through the church here and beyond the church here. And I want to encourage you to encourage him to walk on the water. Encourage him to get out of the boat. Encourage him to rest from time to time. I mean, you know, a pastor goes seven days a week. You don't know that. They're on call like a doctor. They just can't bill like a doctor. 
It'd be a lot different if I could bill everybody. But they're always on call. They're always dealing with something or an emergency that someone has. And, you know, we don't think much about it. And it can get tiring. So I want to encourage you to encourage them. Take some time off. If they're not in every single function in this church, it's okay. Did you see? Watch my lips. It's okay. Because as this church grows, it's going to be impossible for him to be in every place all the time. He's only one person. And uh, so I want you to encourage him, stand behind him and Pastor Karen, and, and uh, really encourage them to continue serving with the passion that they have, and just embrace them, make sure that they're comforted and loved. Amen? Is that okay if I say that? Pastor, I hope you don't mind. But uh, anyway, I said it. Praise God. <laughs> this verse we're going to look at, Hebrews 11, verse 6, it's an incredible verse, and by the way, it is now seven or eight minutes after 12. What time do I have to stop? 12.40? Okay. I just don't want to abuse 12, what? About, about an hour and 10 minutes? Oh, okay. This is a great verse. Listen to what it says. It says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, I believe it's time for us to come to the Lord. I mean, it's time that we come to the Lord with something that allows him to reward us. If you want to come to God with something that causes him to want to reward you, you know what you need to come with? You've got to come with faith. That's what this verse just said. Amen. That he rewards those that diligently seek him, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. The word please in the original language means to agree with him. If you cannot agree with what God says about you, you'll never please God. You'll never seek God. You'll never receive the rewards of God. I want to encourage you as we begin this message this morning, that you come to God with your faith today to find what he wants for you so that he can, so that you can be the recipient of his rewards. You know, there are no limits to what God can do for you. There are no limits to his healing. Your pastor said it this morning. He can heal a cold or a cancer. Peter, the disciple of Christ, cut the ear off of a high priest when they were in the garden of Gethsemane. Jesus just picks up the ear, puts it right back on the man as if nothing had happened. There are no limits to what God can do to heal you. There are no limits to, to salvation. You know, some of you say, well, I'm so far out there. I've made so many mistakes. You cannot be so far away from God that he cannot reach you. If he can take Saul of Tarsus, who we now know as Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who killed people like you as a living, that's what he did. He killed Christians, persecuted the church. If he can take a man like that and save him, there's nothing for him to touch you where you are. There are no limits to God. There are no limits Nothing's impossible with God. There are no faith limits. There are no faith limits. I mean, you can speak to mountains and they'll move. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says God can do exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask or think. Paul said that, and then he raised the dead. Saw blind eyes open. Lame people walking. There are no financial limits. Hear what I just said? There are no fin financial limits with God. Some of you say, oh, but pastor, you don't know. I don't have any education. I only work for hourly wages. I don't even have a job right now. I don't believe I'm going anywhere. There's no way I can ever get promoted. Wait a minute. We serve a God that has no limits. I said he has no limits. He's got a thousand ways to bless you. I heard about a waitress not too long ago who saw a tip, a single mother. How many of you know single mothers have it hard? Single mothers just trying to scrape by and make it. You know what I'm talking about. 
And she looked at a tip that she had as a little waitress in a little pancake place. And somebody left her a $1,075 tip, and it was not a mistake. This man felt compelled by the Lord to bless that woman. Come on. God's got a thousand ways to bless you. I read about a year ago about a business that was sold. The man had had the business 50 years. He finally retired, sold the business to a big corporation. He had people that had worked with him for nearly 50 years. He wanted to bless those people. You know what happened? Some of those people got upwards of $500,000 bonuses and they kept their jobs. Come on, somebody. God has a million ways to bless you. There are no limits to God. None. God wants you to live off the top of the barrel, not off the bottom of the barrel. Look, there was a man in our church last year. He has an elevator service company. I don't know if I told this last year or not. I don't remember. But he got a contract for Advail Properties to service their elevators there in the mountains of Colorado. And so he, got the, he was the low bidder, got the job. And when he went to, to, you know, meet with the executives, the executives, they sat down. They said, look, we have a five-year contract. It's going to be a five-year relationship. And we feel like it needs to be a really good working relationship. And we think your bid was too low. Now, when, do, when in business has somebody said, I think you bid too low. You need to ask more money. And that's what they said. You need to increase your bid. Wow. And the guy thought, okay, what do I do? Do I increase it $30,000 for the next five years? That's $6,000 a year for five years at 50000 He didn't know what to do. He turned to the executives and he says, well, what do you think the bid should be? And the executive said, we think you need to increase above what you bid an additional $750,000. Watch my lips. God has a million ways to bless you. A million ways to bless you. Don't ever tell me that God can't do something for you. I just want you to know this. It takes the same amount of faith to live off the top of the barrel as it does the bottom of the barrel. It takes the same amount of faith to have a lot or a little. Are you following me? Today, I want to teach you on how to live off the top of the barrel. How many of you would like to live off the top of the barrel for a while? How many of you are tired of bottom barrel living? I don't care if it's finance, whatever it might be. You're just tired of living off the bottom. How many? How many? Anybody tired of that? All right, are you ready for some of this? Any takers in this? All right, now, the rest of this message may not be a shouting message. I'm okay with that. Come back tonight and you'll shout tonight. But I want to teach you how to live off the top of the barrel. Jump over to 1 Kings chapter 17. I want to show you a very familiar story about a woman from Zarephath. She was a widow. She was starving to death. It says, then the word of the Lord came to, uh, to him, Elijah. Verse 8 is where we're at. 1 Kings 17, verse 8. Word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose, went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city... Indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Please bring me a little drink of water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Watch what she says. She said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour or grain in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. In just these first few words we've just read, she paints a picture about her life. 
It's a life of despair, a life of discouragement, a life of misery, a life of abandoned hopes. She had no place to turn to, no one to go to. There was no one around to help. There was no government programs. There were no food stamps waiting for her. I mean, every single day. I mean, it wasn't just bleak. It seemed hopeless. Every day she had to scrape the bottom of that barrel, hoping to get just enough meal to mix with that little bit of oil for her and her son to eat so they could stay alive. I want you to notice something about this story. This, this widow and her son survived every day because of a miracle. It took a miracle. Every day she had to hope there was enough meal in the bottom of that barrel. You know, I've got this picture in my mind about every day what she had to do. And on this particular day, I'm sure she turned that barrel over to the side and she started reaching in there and trying to scrape out the few little grains, the little morsels that were left. I can see her getting a rock and kind of pounding the sides of that barrel, just trying to shake loose anything that might be left because that was all. She was living on the bottom of the barrel. What a terrible way to live. But you know, that's how a lot of Christians live. That's how some of you are living. You're not living off the top of the barrel. You're living off the bottom of the barrel. Every week you're scraping the bottom, scraping the bottom of your checking account, scraping the bottom of your spiritual life. You're scraping the bottom of whatever it might be, and there never seems to be enough. Each week you need a miracle to help you get through to the next week where you need another miracle to help you through to the next week. It takes a miracle between paychecks to survive. You don't like it, but somehow you've learned how to deal with it and uh, cope with it, and you've gotten used to it, and you think it's normal. You think that's the way it's supposed to be. That's not how God wants you to live. You know, we call ourselves Christians. We try to be a light in our community, but we're scraping the bottom of the barrel, and you're saying, oh, you ought to get saved and be like me. Why would somebody want to be saved and then go scrape the bottom of their barrel for the rest of their lives? You see, that's not God's wish for you. It's not his desire for you. It's not his plan for you. He wants your barrel to get filled so you can live off the top. He doesn't want you to live for a miracle. He wants you to live under the blessing. I want to say that again. God is tired of his people having to live for a miracle every week when you and I could live under his blessing every day. I think when you're living under the, I, I think of it as an umbrella, the umbrella of God. If I'm under the umbrella of God every day, I don't need a miracle because I've got his blessings every day. Here's the point. We need miracles when the blessings get cut off. We need, we need miracles when the blessings are cut off. And if you're needing a miracle every week, every other week, I'm just telling you right now, that means the blessing in your life has been cut off. Now, I don't know if you know this. Let me give you some spiritual perspective. There's 37 miracles that Jesus did. There are 536 blessings recorded in the Bible from God. If you live 70 years and need a miracle every week, and I'm sure if I ask you, do you need a miracle this week? 80% of your hands would go up. Next week, it'd be the same. Next week, it'd be the same. If you need a miracle every week for your life, you'll need 3,640 uh, 3, miracles by the time you reach 70. Now, wait a minute. Is there something wrong with this picture? You need 3,000 miracles for your lifetime, and there's only 37 in the New Testament? Are we missing something here? You need more miracles in your life than there are blessings recorded in the Bible. Something's gotten wrong. Something, you've slipped off the track somewhere. You've gotten off up in the weeds somewhere in your life. Something has cut off the blessing. You need a miracle because you're not living under the blessing anymore. Come on, somebody. Don't shout me down. There's something so wrong with this picture. If you need more miracles in three months than we see in the whole Bible, what's happened to you? Look, can you name anybody in the Bible by name 
that needs as many miracles as you need? Can you even name anybody in the Bible that says, oh God, I've got to have a miracle. Can you name anybody? You know, God's people learned how to live under the blessing. Here's the hidden truth of this story of this widow that we just read about. As long as it rained, her barrel was full. When it quit raining, rain is a, look, as long as it rained, her barrel was full. When it quit raining, her barrel began to go down to where she was scraping the bottom of it. Now, let me ask you a question because I think this is going to lay the foundation for the three simple things I have to share with you. Is rain a blessing or a miracle? It's a blessing, isn't it? You see, as long as it rained, she was blessed. When it quit raining, she needed a miracle. As long as she was living under the blessing, the rain, she had a full barrel. When it quit raining, her barrel became empty. When the blessing stopped, she needed a miracle. Here's what I hope you get today. If you're living off the bottom of the barrel, what's caused the rain to stop? If you once had a full barrel, but now it's not full, what's happened? What's happened to your world? What's happened to your life? In Leviticus 26, verse 3 through 5, listen to this. It says, if you walk in my statutes, God's speaking to us. If you walk in my statutes, keep my commands, I will give you rain. Can we just say rain's a blessing? He said, if you just walk in what I've told you to do and just follow my, my guidelines and follow my direction. Yeah, we trip and stumble sometimes. I understand all that. But he said, if you just continue to be faithful and walk in that, he said, I will give you rain. I'll bless you. You'll live under the covering of the blessing. He said, you'll, you'll receive rain in due season. The land will yield its fruit. The trees will, the field will yield their fruit. Your threshing floor shall last until the time of vintage. And the vintage shall last until the th- time of sowing. In other words, when you get your paycheck, it'll last all the way through until you get the next paycheck. And beyond. It says, you shall eat your bread to the full. That means you'll have more than enough. Anybody want a little more than enough? I do. And you'll dwell in your land safely. If, if, if the rain comes because we walk in God's statutes and keep his commands, then if the rain stops, have we quit walking in his statutes and commands? That's my question. Now, I know it's a quieter now, now that I got your attention. Because what I'm getting ready to share with you about how to live off the top of the barrel may not be what you want to hear. Because we all want it easy. There's a price. Nothing is really free in this world except salvation when you call out to Christ. But God wants you to walk with him. In Isaiah 1 verse 19, it says, it says that if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. But if you rebel, if you, if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, says the Lord. See, if you're willing and obedient, you eat the good of the land. Listen, we're all willing to have the barrel filled. Am I right? But are you willing to be obedient? See, we're willing, but we're not obedient. You can't have one without the other. I'm sorry it doesn't work that way. I want this to sink in. If you live under the blessing every day, you don't need a miracle. Listen, I'm, I'm not just not bragging. I'm not just saying this because of me. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm just like you. I'm just a human being. I'm trying to get through this world like you are. F- face the same vagaries of life, temptations, everything. But can I tell you, I don't need a miracle all the time. Because I keep trying to walk in the statutes of God. Do I trip and fall? You bet I do. I make mistakes all the time. See, God's not concerned about your performance. He's 
concerned about your heart. It's not about perfect performance. It's about perfect heart. What's your heart like? And are you really pursuing the things of God? God's promises increase uh, uh, and fill our barrels up when we walk with him in covenant. As long as it rained, the widow had a full barrel. When it stopped raining, it dried up. When Elijah left the widow a little while later, said when he went to the mountain and prayed for rain, and the Bible says a downpour came. I'm praying for a downpour to come into your life. I'm praying this will be the start of it today. That God will open up the windows of heaven and touch you and bless you and fill your barrels up so you can live off the top of them the rest of your life. Okay, are you ready? I'm going to give you three things to think about when it comes to living off the top of the barrel. Are you ready? The first one, there was no rain or blessing because of one thing, because of sin. A lot of pastors don't talk about sin anymore. I bet your pastor does. Can I tell you, that's why you're so blessed. That's why I hear excitement, enthusiasm, passion in the house, because your pastor's not afraid to tackle it. There are pastors afraid to talk about sin because they're afraid people will leave. I've I've always thought if I talk about sin, I'm afraid more people will come because they're trying to find a remedy for it. They're trying to find deliverance from it. Listen to this. 1 Kings 16, verse 29 through 33, and then first verse in 17. It says, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel and Samaria 22 years. Now watch this. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing. You ought to underline that in your Bible or highlight it somehow. As if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar of Baal uh, in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, than uh, the God of Israel, than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe, in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord God lives, Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, I want you to notice something here. Suddenly, the heavens were closed. Suddenly, everything was shut off. The rain had stopped. You know, rain's a blessing. It's not a miracle. Suddenly, the blessings have stopped. The blessings of God were cut off. There was no rain. There was no dew for all those years. See, not only the widow woman, but all the people of Israel who were not in covenant with God began to experience this thing of living off the bottom of the barrel. And they adjusted their living they adjusted their lives around living around the covenant of God instead of living in the covenant of God. Maybe that's where you're at. <clears throat> Maybe you're not living in the covenant of God anymore. Maybe you're living around the covenant of God. That's why your barrel is going empty. They just casually and covenantly lived, or conveniently lived before God. It says Ahab led Israel into sin and he, and he treated it as if it were a light thing. You know what those words mean, a light thing? It means kind of like an insignificant thing. Can I tell you where I think the church is in America? I've been traveling a lot. I think the church in America is this. I think we're treating sin very lightly, insignificantly. We once once used to be, we were on fire, full of passion, all kinds of things. And just kind of come to church, kind of go through the motions. We feel right about that. We've let little things slip into our lives. We've kind of compromised and started tolerating things. You know, you give the devil a foothold, he'll build a stronghold. It says they made a, a light, they made light of any sin they had. They didn't pay much attention to it. 
They didn't address it, correct it, repent of it. And what happened is that it closed the windows of blessings. Could that be where you're at? Could somehow or other, you've allowed things to slip in because you've just started tolerating, allowed familiar things to stay familiar, didn't deal with those hidden things that only God sees? Could it be that maybe the reason why we're scraping the bottom of the barrels because we've just allowed sin, we've just treated sin as a light thing instead of something serious that separates us from God? See, God wanted that change. He wanted their barrels filled. But sin separated them. He closed the windows of heaven, shut them off. It stopped God from raining on them. Is your barrel is it starting to go down? doesn't seem like it's being filled back up. Maybe you need to check yourself out. Maybe you need to look at your own heart. Lord, am I really still living for you? Am I just going to, am I really a Christian or am I just kind of trying to act like one? Do I go to church or am I the church? The second thing is sin poisons the barrel. It corrupts the barrel. The reason why the heavens close over us is because Our sin poisons the barrel that God wants to fill. God won't fill a barrel when we allow sin to corrupt and poison. He wants wants you to have a full barrel, not an empty barrel, but the barrel will never be full if we're out of covenant with God. Just go, look, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. You know that. In Leviticus 26, verse 18 and 20, look at this. After all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. Look, I didn't write the Bible. I'm just telling you and reporting to you what it says. The word of Leviticus was to his people. It wasn't to a bunch of heathens. It was to people like us. Verse 20, and your strength shall be spent in vain for your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. You know, You will always receive the reward of what you tolerate. You ought to think about that for just a moment. You will always receive the reward for what you tolerate. If you tolerate sin, you will receive the reward of what you just tolerated. And no matter how much those people cried out, no matter how much you cry out to God, no matter how many times you ask God to open the windows of heaven, I'll tell you right now. Because your barrel has been poisoned, because your vessel has been poisoned, the windows of heaven will remain closed. If your barrel is filled with your sin, God can't fill it with his blessing. Does that make sense? Let me give you the third thing. Before rain comes fire. You You want some rain? You want the blessings? Before the blessings come the fire. Now, some of you probably remember this whole story, but I'll just fill you in, then we'll read a little bit of this. Elijah went to the mountaintop, called the prophets of Baal, 450 to the top. They're having a showdown. We're going to find out whose God is really God. Fix your altar up, do whatever you need to do, call on your gods, see if he'll consume it with fire. He waited all day long, and I mean, those prophets of Baal were crying out, cutting themselves, screaming. I mean, they wore themselves completely out, and nothing happened. All of God's people had gathered on the mountain. It was a showdown. Elijah prepares the altar. He gets people to come and pour seven big vessels of water on the top so there's no shenanigans. And he just stands back. 1 Kings 18, verse 37. 
38, he prayed, he said, hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the, the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. I want you to know that fire burns up things. It consumes things. It purifies things. It burns away things. It cleanses things. See, the fire represented God trying to cleanse things out of their life. And I mean, immediately all those people realized, what, what have I been doing? Why have I been, why have I been living this way? God, and the people cried out, Lord, you are the Lord. You are the God. You are the God. You're the Lord. You're the God. And they begin to cry out and turn back to God. Because the fire, listen, before the blessing, before the rain comes the fire. And the fire fell and the people instantly were awakened to their sins and realized how far they had slipped from God. And with one voice, they cried out to the Lord. And listen to what happened then in verse 39. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, It's what Elijah said. Okay, now you got that right. You're finally back on track. He said, Now go seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and he executed them there. Pretty harsh, isn't it? You know what the Lord spoke to me when I read that? He said, that's what you need to do with all your sins. You need to get every one of them. Don't let one escape. You need to take them down to the foot of the cross and execute them. If you want the rain to come and fall in your life, you better deal with everything that's trying to escape. All that sin that's trying to escape and say, oh, not me. It's not me. It's not me. I'm talking about every little thing, every big thing, every insignificant thing, every light thing. And take it to the foot of the cross. He says, seize every sin you have in your life. That's really what it says to me. And destroy them. And then after that particular dramatic moment, after all the people turned back to God, Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat, and drink, for there is the sound of the abundance of rain. You see, when you turn your life back to God, you know what you're going to have? This says the sound. That means a voice was loud. That's what the word sound means in the Hebrew. It says there was a loud voice. And I believe when you turn back to God and you realize maybe how you've slipped away, how the heavens have closed up above you, you're going to hear the voice of God crying out, blessing, blessing, increase, increase, multiplication, promotion, all those kind of things. That's what you're going to start hearing, the voice of a God. Not enough, more than enough is what you'll hear the voice of the, God, of the Lord God saying to you. Look, are you getting this? Before the rain comes the fire. We have to seize our sins and without delay execute them. It goes on to say in verse 41, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink, for there's the sound of the abundance of rain. So Ahab went up and drank, and Elijah went to the top of Carmel. By the way, Mount Carmel was the same place they just had the showdown. Now he goes back to Mount Carmel. He bows down. He puts his head between his knees. And he said to the servant, go up now toward the sea. So he went up and looked and he came back. There's nothing. Seven times he said, go again. And he came back on the seventh time and he said, there's a cloud. The size of a man's hand rising out of the sea. And he said, well, go up. Tell Ahab to prepare your chariot. Go down before the rain stops you. And now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind. And there was a heavy rain, a heavy rain. Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah, girded up his loins. He ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. I want you to notice that from the same place that fire fell, the blessings came. Amen. 
same place. It was the site of the fire, site of the purity, site of the repentance, and it would be the place of the rain and the place of the blessing. As soon as there was repentance, as soon as people got back in covenant and their life was restored in covenant, the people moved in obedience. Elijah went back to the same place where that fire fell and the blessings of God were poured out. I hope you're seeing this. The, barrel, the barrels were empty. The heavens were closed. They had to live for a miracle every day, every week, a handful at a time. But when they repented, when they forsook their sins, when they got back in covenant with God, some of you are saying, well, that's not me. Well, it might be. Your barrel may be full right now, but you know, you're working your way down. If it doesn't keep getting filled, you'll be at the bottom before long. You know, the Lord spoke to me about this. He said, if you will deal with your light sin, he said, I will send my heavy rain. Did you get that? Yeah, that's good. If you will deal with your light sin, what you think is the insignificant, no big deal, he said, I'll open up the windows of heaven and I'll pour out my heavy rain on you. Come on, that's a good deal, don't you think? You want to live off the top instead of the bottom? All I can say is I hear the sound of the abundance of rain. I hear the sound. I hear a voice crying out, blessings, blessings, more than enough. Blessings, increase, more than enough to a people, to a people who will Look at what they think is such a light thing, an insignificant thing. And say, God, I don't want this in my way. You know, I get up sometimes in the morning and I pray, Lord, I want you to convict me of any sin that I have. I ask the Holy Spirit, I said, just show me any insignificant thing, things that I've just looked past. And just show me what it is. I just don't want it in my way. You know the reason why? I don't want to live off the bottom of the barrel. I don't have to live and beg God for a miracle every week. Why would I want to do that when I can live under his blessings every single day? Would you bow your heads for a moment? I could call you forward, but no, you can get saved right where you're sitting. God can touch you right where you are. Some of you are not living right. I mean, I'm just going to leave it to you like that. You're not living right, not doing right. There are some areas in your life you've tolerated, you've allowed... That years ago, you wouldn't even think of thinking or doing or saying. But somehow or other, you've let, it, you've let those things slip into your life and slowly God's hand is coming off of you. And the heavens are slowly closing above your head to where you're really kind of more desperate now in some areas than you've ever been. Maybe it could be you're falling out of covenant with God. You're not walking with His guidelines and His precepts and His direction that He's giving to you. But today you're saying, Lord, I see it for the first time, and I, I need to come back. I need to make it right. With your eyes closed for just a moment, would you slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I'm that person that you're talking about. I feel like maybe I'm allowed things in my life that's closing heaven off. Would you slip your hand and put it up and put it right back down? That's fine. Amen, 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 amen all over this building. Come on, be honest with God. This is the moment of time where God can bring the fire that brings the rain. You want your barrel filled, but there's a price for it. And the price is so easy. Let Jesus walk through this wall and breathe on you new life. That's really what he'll do. And he'll open the windows of heaven and pour you out blessing. There not be room enough to receive. Heavenly Father, 
the hands that have gone up and gone down. Lord, the people that are even responding now in their own heart are saying, Lord, I'm that person. I've allowed things into my life. And I want to be free of it. I confess it. I confess it. I want you to think about this while I'm praying. When you confess your sin to God, it's not the first time he knew about it. So it's okay to say, Lord, that's me. I've done this. Father, I've done this. I've said this. I've acted this way. I know it's wrong. I ask you to forgive me. I repent. I acknowledge, Lord God, now I understand it. And I want to make my life right before you in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord. Come on, with your whole heart, just give him thanks right now in your heart. Just thank him that he's relieving you, freeing you, showing you mercy and kindness and grace. In the precious name of Jesus, Lord, we pray. Amen.